0: This is Commerce Shenanigans, episode 764, a conversation with Judd Winnick. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast, I'm your host Adam Chavin, this is episode 764, it's a conversation with Judd Winnick, Uh, this is actually I believe his fourth time on the show, Uh, it's always nice having Judd on the show, Uh, the last few times uh, we've talked pretty exclusively each year, Uh, we seem to have him on the show around the same time every year, uh, usually around March and April, to talk about uh, the newest release in his Hilo book series, it's a graphic novel series, um, ostensibly for younger readers, but really you don't have to be a younger reader to enjoy it, it's just engaging, fun stories storytelling. It's got a good sense of humor as well, and it's action-adventure. There's a tremendous amount of pathos in the most recent volume, um, and we get into that. We try to delicately jump around spoilers, but it's always nice having Judd on the show. Uh, If you want to go back and listen to his other appearances on Complex Shenanigans, uh, you can check out episode 554 from February 2018, episode 666 from April 2019, and episode 668 in uh, April 2019 as well. Uh, Because those are some great episodes, and here we talk pretty exclusively about the book six um so which is the most recent volume and we also talk about the upcoming volume 7 that will come out next year uh, probably around the same release time uh, I guess probably January February that's when they usually come out Um, so we talk about that Um, we also talk a little bit about relatively recent comic news in terms of uh, did Dan DiDio leaving uh, DC or no longer being part of DC Uh, so Judd kind of has some remembrances of some awesome times working with with Dan and uh, their relationship and uh, what it was like for them working you know coming on to DC in and around the same period uh, in the early 2000s and what it like working together i uh, will also talk about uh, some of his other uh, writing projects that he's done in the past such as working on barry ween and others so uh you know strap in this is another fun conversation with Jed winnick you can email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com rate the show on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and also listen to us on stitcher thanks again and once again enjoy the show Jed, welcome back to the comic shenanigans podcast how are you today i'm excellent sir how are you I'm good, I'm good. It's uh, great to have you on. This is your fourth visit in three years. Um, so every year we have you come back and we talk about the most recent Hilo release, and this uh, this is a big one this year.
1: Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Um, yeah, I'm talking past tense. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and from, from where I sit, somewhat literally, uh, yeah, it is it's it is out the door, it's out to the public, it's, we are done, Uh but, yeah, it was a, it was a fairly uh, fairly momentous, so uh, I was happy about that. For sure. I guess for those playing at home, I should explain. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: it's, uh, um, so the Hilo series, we are up to book six, and as I explained to anyone who could bother to listen, that this was the uh, end of our first big story arc, um, which is like, not the end of Hilo, where I, I literally just finished book seven uh, about two months ago. Um two months yeah about two months ago and uh this is just the first the end of our first big story comic nerds understand how story arcs work if you don't understand what story arcs mean think of it like a season of television this is the end of our first big season we'll call it that um and uh and that was, was kind of a long time coming i enjoyed playing to an ending and um and i hope people liked it i really do
0: no i obviously i'm going to talk about this volume but it's interesting so this is a big year uh, happy belated birthday you just had a big birthday Yes, I turned fifty last month. Yeah. Does that feel last real? Last
1: month? Yeah, we're in March now. Yes, last month. Um, it's it was it was it was a slightly weird one. I mean, it might be it might be weirder for folks if they're in a bad place. I'm not. Um, I have a wonderful family. I've got a wonderful partner. My wife Pam is fantastic. I've got kids. I have a job that I love. I love. Um, all that said. Yeah, turning fifty, yeah, you know, still kind of sucks. You're, you really, you can't help it. It's fifty.
0: <laughs>
1: you tend to think about it a lot. You know, it's like, wow, that's that's fifty. Fifties, fifties, not young. Uh, prior to, I think, this birthday, pretty much with almost everybody, unless they're, you know, almost tipping seventy. When you say something like, "Nah, you know, I'm pretty old," it's like, "Oh, how old are you?" He's like, well, "I'm 50. And then they go, "Well, you know," they'll say it with a little bit of pause, as if like. You have a point there. Yeah, You're you, you making a very good point as far as being old, yes, perhaps, yes.
0: It's an interesting year because, again, you turn 50, you have, you know again, the culmination of that first big arc with Hilo, which is obviously a big milestone. Um, it was interesting reading it, and obviously the themes of, of friendship are so strong, but um, the fact that you start the book with the dedication for Pedro, it felt, again, it kind of felt that... Kind of turning fifty, this big milestone. Also, you know, this turning this chapter, uh, the last, you know, of, of the first kind of big arc of Hilo, and also looking back and again remembering Pedro. It felt very emotional. The entire volume is that kind of how you felt going through it. Yeah, I would say it's it's very astute.
1: Um, it, uh, it I don't think it necessarily started that way, but as as going through it, and I don't want to I'm not going to get into spoilers too much, but I will say that yeah, there it is a book that deals with loss. Uh, and in doing it, um, and for those playing at home, uh, 26 years ago I was I was a cast member on MTV's Real World in San Francisco. Uh, my cast mate, along with my wife Pam, who wasn't my wife at the time, um, was a young man named Pedro Zamora. Uh, and Pedro was a 22-year-old AIDS educator and activist. Uh, and this is 1994, so it was the very first time that most people had seen someone who was actually living with AIDS in a real way. Um, so it was not, I am not overstating this at all. It was actually a fairly, uh, world changing event. It really was. Um, it was an international story, his life. And, uh, he passed away, uh, not long after we finished filming the show. So we finished filming the show in June of 94. And Pedro passed away in November of that year. or So just a couple of months later. So, um, With that, um, so I was a a, a wispy 24 years old when that (laughs) happened. Um, And now here we are, here I am, 50. um, An old dude, uh, pretty much, um, yeah, I I am the age that my father was when I did the show. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, no, it's kind of nutty. It's like, you know, (laughs) when he was, he and my mom were hustling me out the door. I, I was almost late for the show because New York was almost snowed in with – it was snowed in by, with a blizzard. And my dad had the forethought of waking me up at 4 o'clock in the morning and say like, listen, if you're going to fly to California today, you need to leave the airport now, not four hours from now. Let's go. So, <laughs> uh, so my dad got me on the plane uh, and I managed to get out there because they closed the airport. So And, and it would have like totally screwed up production. If I hadn't gotten out there, I was I think I was traveling the furthest of anybody. Um uh with exception of Pedro who was flying from Florida, so he didn't have a weather issue. Anyway, circling back, um yeah, so this was this was a book that was about loss, was about endings, that has sense so yeah, a lot of these things absolutely true. Um It was, um, and wasn't again. wasn't wasn't planned that way. Just kind of, just kind of happened that way. was a bit, I guess, you'd call it fortuitous.
0: Here's a a silly question, but like, uh, this is this is naivete. So I apologize in advance. So when you create a, uh, you know, one of your piece of works, um, like at what point are you coming up with the dedication or deciding to dedicate it to Pedro? Is it very early on, or is it kind of after it all kind of comes together and you realize, you know, the resonance that it has, or like how did that? Maybe that's overstepping, and I apologize if it is. No, no, no! It does. It's
1: totally cool. And uh, the truth is, it, 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 yeah, it it actually, it, it happens when I'm done. It really does. When I'm when I'm done is when uh, I figure out who this book should be for. Um, You know that and and the title. There's things that happen. You've got to, you know, I I, I guess another way of putting it is that I don't treat it lightly. um, That they're kind of important to me you know like this book is obviously going to be uh you know dedicated to you know my 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 kids for you know whatever reason. Um this one's for Pam, this one's for uh you know two friends of mine made the book instrumental but in this case when the book is over it's like yeah it's like I'm I'm actually you know um there is a dialogue in the book which was uh lifted from a graphic novel I did about Pedro um called Pedro and Me. Um I literally took a couple lines of dialogue right from there, uh, because as I was noodling around with it, it's like, well, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> it's like this is this is what I'm trying to say, so I might as well say it. Um, when, when discussing, you know, loving someone and losing them, um, so yeah, so when I was done, it seemed kind of obvious, like, oh yeah, no, I'll dedicate it to him.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: interesting.
0: Because
1: I in a, in, oh go yes, ahead sir. please. Well, no, I um. All I was going to say is that part of it was also um, – I came, I came around to, around to like becoming well, – I'll call myself a graphic novelist, I guess, uh, doing uh, graphic novels because of Pedro. Um, I always wanted to do comic strips and I thought that's what I was going to do with my life. And when uh, the first graphic novel I did, the first time I ever did sequential art really – for those playing at home, sequential art, that's comic books, panels, <laughs> and word balloons over their heads uh, that are not comic strips. <laughs> um, it, it, I mean you can argue – well, we'll, we'll for, for sake of argument, that's what we'll call it. But um, I had never done that before until I did this book about Pedro. And when I was done doing this book about Pedro, that's when it clicked with me. It's like, you know what? Actually, this is how I want to tell stories. I don't want to do comic strips anymore. This is really – This is really where I feel most comfortable, and this is how I want to do it. Um, So I owed that to him. So it was also really coming full circle in a lot of ways. Like you know, this was you know the end of a major endeavor. I was I I, I was I was darkly always worried. Like man, I hope hope nothing happens to me because I really want to finish these six books. (laughs) If I don't finish this first story arc, I'm really going to be bummed.
0: (laughs) I get that. Now I, I have a question. So, I mean, so talking about Pedro and me, so I, I've, I've read it. It's, I mean, I remember when I read it for the first time, it was only a few years ago, but I remember I was uh, on public transit at the time when I was, when I was finishing it, I could not put this thing down. It just had tears in my eyes because it was so emotional. And so it was deeply impacting. So first of all, like, thank you for that amazing journey. And like, I, I I was too young at the time to have known anything about the real world, so I would not have experienced any of that. But um, I just found that to be such an incredibly moving story. So I just want to thank you for putting that together. Obviously, it was for for Pedro, and but just as a reader, it was a, it was enormously moving.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and y'all didn't you didn't have uh, you didn't have MTV for quite a while. I mean, I, I I don't know the age disparity. I know when we were doing the show. Um, and uh, forgive me, you are uh, uh, you are Canadian, right? I am Canadian. Do you yes, correctly.
0: You are correct there.
1: Okay, yes. So it was, it was much music, right?
0: That's right. Did they even have that when you were a kid? I mean, okay, music yeah, was so, around. Uh, uh, I'm, so I'm 36. Um, so I mean, like things were around, but we didn't get a lot of the the programming, the like the, the, the television programming that I guess was on MTV. We got all the music videos, but we didn't get the uh, mm-hmm. the actual programming, at least not at that time.
1: We actually called uh, called in some favors, and this is back in like '96, so we could get backstage uh, at the uh, at a Bare Naked Ladies concert.
0: <laughs>
1: <That's> uh, awesome! <laughs> Pam and I were huge, we were huge, huge monstrous, huge fans, and they were coming through San Francisco. And we did the thing we never ever do, which is just randomly called like we got a hold of the promoter and said, "Yeah, hi, we're Pam and Jeff in the Real World. Can we get backstage passes?" We never did this, and honestly, have not really ever done it since. Um, <laughs> And uh, it was only when we, and the thing was, well, it was ninety six. The show like all, you know, was on ninety four, and we really had a lot of street cred, which was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, so when we'd meet people, invariably, almost everybody knew who we were, except the bare naked ladies who did not see it because it mm. was it was not in Canada. And we're talking to them. It's like no, no. It's like yeah, we heard of that show. It's like okay, okay. We lasted about ten minutes. Like it's deeply uncomfortable. We thought we'd have like some kind of meaningful exchange. Like okay, we're never gonna do this again. Bye, bye, bye. So, yeah. <laughs> so bare naked ladies, bare naked ladies, much music, Canada story.
0: That's that's outstanding. <laughs> Failed celebrity. I guess that's funny. Um, yeah. You getting, roll the dice. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. So getting back to Hilo uh, for a second. So, I, well, first of all, you mentioned that sure. you, you've already finished Volume Seven. So, are you way ahead of schedule on this? Because I feel like when we spoke a year ago, that you weren't done six yet.
1: Um, yeah. In this ca- uh, yeah, with that, well, it's probably like a matter of months. Um, <laughs> you know, you give me a month, and suddenly I've got like forty pages still to finish, and I'm just you know ready to punch myself in the face. Um, in this case, uh managed to uh i managed to get it done for the book tour um which was starting in february so um uh yeah i'm i'm <laughs> i'm actually not ahead of schedule i'm on schedule this is where i'm actually supposed to be this is where the only slightly arbitrary deadlines um would, would like me to be so um so right now i'm working on uh I'm working on the next book um and we'll see this will be a. Uh, We'll see how schedules work how in, in, in the new normal,
0: and however
1: the new normal lasts.
0: Absolutely. So with with this volume, yeah. one thing I, I love uh, that throughout all the books, but has uh, always obviously been your sense of humor. You bring a, a nice sense of humor to the action adventure and the pathos that you put on the page. Um, and my favorite character has got to be uh, oh my god! I'm 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 blanking on her name. Um, the Scottish uh, cat Polly. Yeah. Yeah, Polly. Yeah. It just feels like you get yeah. to work out all your humor in that character, and there's nothing that that, that cat could say that I wouldn't laugh at.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I appreciate that. She's uh, – um, for those who are playing at home, we have a anthropomorphic cat from a different world who, uh, um, who's Scottish, which <laughs> – you, know, you only know if you've heard me talk about it maybe here and there people can pick up that she's supposed to be Scottish uh, I write her somewhat accented not not in a way that like is, is too over the top uh, but yeah she's she happened to be very very funny and I just kind of lucked into it and, uh, and people dig her which is which just kills me yeah <laughs> um, and in this in this in this volume where things get kind of serious it is nice to have someone who lightens the mood so much and can be so ridiculous and brave and funny. So I'm glad you dig her too.
0: What I really enjoyed about this volume is that especially, like, obviously you have all these plot lines are wrapping up, but you're also taking the time to, you know, for DJ's families becoming more involved in the story um, and like more his mother. And I thought that was a a really nice touch to kind of see that even though you have all these other plot lines, you're still developing new things and pushing new things forward, um, which can take the characters in new directions. And again, has additional emotional relevance and kind of makes the end land a lot better because it's not just a secret. I'm trying to dance around spoilers as well, but it's not just a secret held by one or a couple. It's held by more, and it's a nice way of kind of setting the decks.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was um, that was sort of just in the telling. That uh, um, Whereas, uh, you know, I've cheated the books a whole lot. Um, you know, it's sort of the Harry Potter approach, the Steven Spielberg approach, that you, you kind of avoid a lot of grown-ups uh, in your story as much as you can because they you know, they get in the way. You want the kids to have the adventure. Um, but it felt like in this this volume where again, without giving away too much, we're dealing with, dealing with loss that um, the kids needed a grown-up. They needed they just needed a grown-up around to, for, for them to, you know, because they needed to be kids for a little while. They needed to be sad. They needed to not necessarily be able to handle it. And they just needed a grown up there to tell them tell them that that, that she's sorry. Um, so DJ's mom being there for them, you know, um, seemed like kind of just a natural progression. And it was fun having her in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it also it gave it just a sense of like we're pulling the, the curtain back from the secret just a little bit. You know. She's basically the first adult to, you know, learn that Hilo Hilo's not human, and there's the kids have been running off in this insane adventure, and you know, um, you know it's it was again. Um, I think it, it it gives it it gives it an air of reality now for for everybody, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and is that and this naturally just naturally occurred in the storytelling, which I again just sometimes you get lucky.
0: It was what I really enjoyed about it was that it didn't feel kind of the, the typical parent role. Like she took took a more active approach, wasn't kind of shying away from it and was much more active and proactive. And I, th- I really responded to that as a parent, obviously, because, you know, obviously we are kind of the, the supporting cast to our, our child, but it's nice to kind of see them being able to take an active role and not just be relegated and kind of pushed to the side. And I appreciated that.
1: Well, th- well thanks. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want it to be you know, so often, especially when there's like adventures, um, you know, when kids are doing adventures, and this when they find out. Invariably, they they get like shoved into a broom closet or something, or you know, <laughs> they get you know they're 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 gonna they put their foot down here. You're, you're not doing all this, and then one of the kids will you know lock them in the car, you know, stick them in here, and the kids run off, and the parents spend the entire. Adventure trend, Uh, the whole idea just kind of made me sick. So I was like, "No, I think I think mom's going to reluctantly get sucked into this, and she's going to take part in it because they don't have a lot of choice." Mm -hmm. Um, That was the whole thing: to make it believable enough. You know, she agrees that
0: like, no, we got to get in here. We got to take care of this. We got to do this. One thing that I felt, um, especially after reading this volume and then kind of reevaluating the whole you know, six-volume six series thus far, and maybe this is me reading too much into where it doesn't belong, but I'm just curious, it seems that Hilo's journey in a lot of ways is the story of, an, uh, of anyone who has gone, well, Uh, basically that of someone who's going through an adoption or a child who's being adopted, like comes from a trauma, um, maybe repressing it, uh, makes a new family that wants to be part of, but then there's still that lingering, lingering idea of the trauma that kind of created this instance in the first place. And then uh, ultimately solidifying the bonds with the adopted family. Is that maybe just me rereading too much into this or is that, is that maybe part of this journey as well? No, I'd say that's, that is
1: dead on. I said, with the only exception that I hadn't actually thought of it as um, the path that one goes to when uh, when when they're adopted. But uh, but it is. <laughs> this is this is about you know, uh, Hilo basically coming from one family that didn't really work and then winding up with another. Uh, you know, it's it is very much about you know the, you know one finding their chosen family, the one who they they're they're, they're actually supposed to be with. You know, the one who loves them the one who's actually going to take care of them um, which is he come, basically comes from you know we we'll call it a setup uh, not exactly a family but you know way his life is it, that no one's actually taking care of him um, so now he can do that um, and so that is that is absolutely true I said I, every every point you'd made but it hadn't occurred to me that it is the passive that one takes when they're getting adopted that is, that is absolutely true.
0: I mean, and obviously the button on that, again, spoilers, but there's, you know, one of the last things Hilo says um, obviously solidifies that idea that, you know, that this is what this is now. Again, I'm trying to not spoil, like, the last two pages. But. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but exactly
1: that. Yeah, he, uh, he finds a family. He finds an actual family, and, that's, uh, and that was nice. That was, I mean, there was a couple of rock-solid endings that I had from the very, very beginning. And uh, and that was one of them. Hmm. Um, so um, uh, it's uh, you couldn't be more
0: right. That is the path he was on. Hmm. Now, when, you've, when you finish this book, so again, I, I can't even imagine what it must be like to, again, you've been in this long journey with Hilo. You've always kind of had an idea of where it's going, and then you're kind of rocketing towards the wrapping it all up. But at the same time, you know that you know, there's going to be more and you're kind of, I guess in your mind, seeding ideas and thoughts, like how is that process to go from a big ending like this drawing together a year's worth of story and now, you know, working on the new one and then developing a whole new story and potentially a whole new saga. Like it must be a big shift to go from the ending to the beginning again.
1: It is. I mean, I I, I will, I will, and, and not to be disingenuous, but, uh, um, and this is it's it's a conversation that I had with uh, with comic writer Ed Brubaker a lot when we would work with other people uh, you know, doing other things, you know, working on television or you know or movies or books and you know when we were working outside of superhero comics. Ed Brubaker wrote superhero comics for a number of years before becoming a TV writer producer. Um, and when you do superhero comics, which we both did for well over a decade, um, you develop certain muscles. As far as coming up with plots quickly, um, because you don't have a lot of choice, both and because of the nature of superhero comics, they just have to they they have to come out every single month, and you're doing multiple titles, so you can't get you can't get prissy, you know. So like <laughs> you got to move it along, you know. You got to figure out what you're going to do, and then coupled with it, now and again, and when I say now and again, I mean a lot. Uh, <laughs> you'll find out that big idea you had. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, well you can't use you can't use Nightwing in that book. Like, sorry? Yeah, well he broke both of his legs in his own book, so he's <laughs> gonna be out of commission for like three months. It's like, oh come on now, can't we just like do a little time shift? Is it supposed to be three months later? Like, nope, broken legs, can't use them. <laughs> you wanna use the flash? It's like, no, I don't want to use the flash. It's like, ah and suddenly you've <laughs> got, you know, a day and a half to figure out how to fix this entire, you know, four or six issue story arc which doesn't have a character in it that you were planning on. Um, so it trains these muscles when it comes to like plot and storytelling, which um, you kind of can see where the pieces are supposed to fit in a, in a regular way. You just work it out. You just work it out. Um, we used to joke, it's like, yeah, no, it's like, it's like how we could see the Matrix. It's like the Joe <laughs> Pagliano scene. Like, guess like, I look here, and like I know you just see X's and O's, but I see like a blonde, I see a brunette. It's like, we're kind of that way too. It's like, we just, you know, we can see where the, like, well, if we take this character out, put this one in instead, it'll fall into place in that way, and it'll be fine. Um, saying all that, um, the next series of books. Well, I had I had time to think about it, where when the story would end and when the next one would begin. Um, simply because I, at first I didn't, I wasn't planning on it. Um, my uh, when when I when I first sold the book to Random House, the series rather, uh, my editor and now friend Shannon Corey, um, she and I were talking about it, and she said, "So, how many books do you think are going to be in this series to tell the story of Hilo?" And I told her that I was thinking about like like twenty you know, like, it's like, you know, like kind of, kind of like monster of the week, like a TV show, you know, we'll, we'll slowly roll out the mystery of who Hilo is and where he comes from and what he needs to do. And, uh, every week, well, have, like every week, every book will have a new villain to deal with. And you know, like that, so like 20, she goes, okay, 20, 20, it's a healthy number. It's like, That's good. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. If you want to do that, then we'll absolutely do it. But she said, she had two notes. One was that her big note, even reading the first book, was that she wanted to get to the mystery of Hilo sooner. I was holding back too much. She said, I kind of want that to be like the A story and a little bit less about a new villain in every book. I think it'd be interesting that if we try really, really hard to move the story forward, you know, with every book. And I was like, oh, okay, that is interesting. Then she pointed out that you're averaging probably about a book a year. Um, so if you're gonna do 20 books, then a 10 year old who reads the first one is gonna be 30 by the time you're done. It's <laughs> like, and I had to say, yeah. So that's that's kind of a long time. She goes, yeah, no, it is a long time. But uh, you know, if you want to do that, I'm fine with it. Like, oh no, no, I don't want to do that. Are you sure? It's like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to have to wait 20 years for the, for the book series to end. So I sat down. I, I literally thought about it, and broke it. I broke it down like, so how many books can I tell the whole – because I knew the ending. So what am I going to do? Um, so it wound up being six. I said if I do this here and I do that there, it will be six and I will feel pretty good about it. Um, and uh, then after the first book came out and it did rather well. Um, shana turned around and said like hey so like she goes no oh, it was really terrific we're very very happy and it's like and you know if you want to do more than six books you know we'd of course you know be very interested in that it's like whoa whoa, wait whoa, whoa. mean more than six that's it <laughs> it's, it's like i got six books that's that's gonna be the story it's over with after six and shana had to ask it's like well they don't all die at the end do they like every one of them right it's like well, no. It's like, it's like, okay. Well, then I'm sure you'll think of something. Just you know, you got time. <laughs> it's like, go, go do these six. Start thinking about what you might want to do after that. And with that in mind, around the third book, it's something you know had, had clicked in my brain, and I feel comfortable talking about it now. Because if you haven't read up to the third book and listening to this, I don't know why you're listening to this. Um, so, in the third book, uh, Gina, uh, Gina Cooper, who is one of our three main characters, discovers that she can do magic. Um, she's visiting Polly's world and turns out she can do magic, uh, just like Polly. Um, and as the books go on, she can continue to do magic and she's pretty good at it. So you might have seen the last page of uh, the last Hilo book, which we talked about the next book, and the next book is, is Hilo book seven, uh, Gina, the girl who broke the world. Um, so – With the first six books, Hilo is kind of the superhero with superpowers, and DJ and Gina are the ones that kind of back her up. Well, with the seventh book, Gina is the one with the superpowers, and Hilo and DJ are the ones that back her up. And uh, so that occurred to me a bunch of years ago. And so I've been messing around with that story in the back of my head for a while uh, and also able to you know seed it. Here and there, when I could, like yeah, you know, put a little bit in here, and like that'll i pick up later. And um, so I lucked into that too. So um, I didn't find it insurmountable, and maybe which is why I got it done rather quickly. Um, sort of, you know, it took a year, but um, the Gina book was was done because you know I had an awful lot of time to think about it. and I knew where we were going. So in a lot of ways, it's very, very exciting. I will also say that it it does pick up right where we left off. Mm -hmm. It is the seventh Hilo book. Um, And we did debate on calling it like Gina book one. But uh, to be really blunt, the folks in marketing said, that's a terrible
0: idea. (laughs) It's like – It's like you know you you, you've
1: branded six books and people know Hilo. We're not going to call the books Gina now. It's like oh okay I understand what you're saying.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, So yeah, Hilo book seven, Gina, the girl broke the world. That's how that's how they roll.
0: Not that I want spoilers, but is Polly going to be back? Are we going to get more Polly?
1: Oh for sure, absolutely yes. (laughs) I can even be specific. Polly makes a very very tiny appearance in book seven, but then she's all over book eight and all over book nine then 10 11 12 for sure um so she, she's in a, a lot um yeah it's the thing with Polly's like you almost yeah, I, I gotta hold back a little bit here and there just when necessary so it it gets very very magical by book eight which is why she's of course back mm.
0: in uh, in book six obviously we're you know we're, we're pulling a lot of pieces together and again is there anything about again, I don't want to spoil anything about the characters in the book because I don't, I want people to go read it. Um, but is there anything about Mm -hmm. aspects of this book that may or may not continue into further volumes that you'll miss if I can be as vague as possible? Um,
1: no, it is, it is a flat out,
0: you know, for those who read the, the
1: first six books, it is really a flat out continuation from where we left off. Um, you know, um, um, you know, and and with that, um, to get really cagey about it, um, there are things that happen. There are sad things that happen in, in book six, which um, we are discussing and dealt with. It isn't like oh that happened and we don't. You know the the ramifications of everything that happened are uh, are still ramifying. Is that a word?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's still we're 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 still. We're still dealing with it. They, like, it's, it's, Nothing is over and done with. Things that were sad and affected the kids are still sad and affecting the kids. And the things that have changed, um, we call them out that they have changed and how that, that, that has made their lives kind of different. Um, so it, it is the next book. You know, It is the next volume of, of their lives.
0: Okay. Um, this is a, a very – Kind of odd, one of those kind of odd, very particular questions, but um, I, I I like a lot of how you name your chapters. It sounds like such a silly thing to say, but um, I like what you've named a lot of them. I'm just curious how much of the process, like oh, how much time do you, you actually, so much. how much time do you actually spend kind of thinking up, you know, what's a cool uh, to, uh, kind of way to break down this chapter or a cool title for it.
1: Oh well, let me begin by thank you. I really appreciate that because they're 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 not they're not haphazard. I really. I, I I enjoy the chapter titles. I literally I enjoy them. I'm quite. Um, I'll say it. I'm quite proud of them. I really am. I am. I got a big grin on my face as I'm talking about this because they 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 do mean a lot to me. I I find them to be fun, and I actually like that I can get a little bit of humor out of them, a little bit of storytelling out of them. Um, sometimes it's 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 fun because they. If if you land it just right, it just sets the tone for the next twenty five pages in the right way, mm. and uh, I like that. I mean, some sometimes I just I you know I, I'm, I'm I kick myself in a bad way that I've got no choice. Like, no, it's got to just say like two months later. That's what I got to call it. You know, it's like because I, I could I could say two months later on the first panel, but I kind of got to hit the ground running. It's like, man, I wish there was something more fun than this. But uh, a lot of times I get to be fun and i like that i like i like when the chapter tells you a little bit of something um or i get a good joke out of it Mm -hmm. i mean i think my best joke that i got out of the last book with the chapter titles is i think the 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 chapter ends with um no sorry that's book seven i can't tell you (laughs) (laughs)
0: like
1: like that that's the wrong one can't do that one um I'll put it this way, like it was something that, it'll be something along the lines of like, you know, one of the characters saying it's like, man, like we just gotta get out of here, you know, before someone else does something dumb. You know, in chapter ten. Someone else does something dumb. You know. <laughs> that's the name of the chapter.
0: <laughs> I will say if I that. get a
1: joke out of it like that, then I'm pretty- <laughs>
0: My son always liked it because uh, when again it would be a specific word or phrase, and then you'd have that in the chapter, and he'd be like he'd make the connection because he's six and a half, so he's like making those connections, he's like, "Oh, that's the name of the chapter." I'm like, yeah, it is um, when we were reading book seven, it was funny we sat down we uh, we sat down to read uh sorry book six, I should say, and uh, we opened up chapter one. I'm like, okay, Zach, you know I don't know if we have a lot of time tonight, we'll just read one chapter, and then we go, and it's literally one page, and he's like, "Dad, come on."
1: Yeah, it's a little short.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> he had you with that one for sure.
0: Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, yeah, but that, that was sometimes
1: you just yeah. No, 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 he makes a point there. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, I, I I do that as as well. That there's, there um was it in book six that there was a chapter named and Dandy, and it might have been um or might have been book five. I forget. Uh, and I think someone within the chapter just is like, oh, that thought will be just Dandy.
0: Mm-hmm. I think so. <laughs> you <know>?
1: um, <laughs> and. Yeah, something like that. Um, And and it's, uh, I like when kids notice because
0: it is absolutely 100% intentional. How, uh, I mean, obviously with uh, the current issues with the coronavirus, I mean, I'm guessing your book tour was kind of modified, but what has the reaction been to book six with uh, the kids you've been visiting?
1: Well, one, I got extremely lucky in the sense that I got through about, I'd say about 85% of my book tour. Like I got through all the travel. Um, I, I, I was out, I was out on the road just as things were beginning to start cooking. Um, I mean, now we know that things were awful and I, we all should have gone inside. Uh, <laughs> uh cause I, you know, was February 4th is when the book came out and I was on the road and I was done about the first week in March, uh, is when I finished up. And then I had about, we was supposed to be in about another month of local visits, um, throughout Bay Area, and I got through about um, a week and change, maybe two, like and a lot of visits. Like, I got through a whole lot, um, but then uh, things things got cut off. So, but more to your point. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very, very lucky. The reaction from kids has been nothing short of just, just phenomenal. Um, it's really, um, you know, beginning with kids who are just getting into the series, which is always oh, great because um, there's, you know, now there's so many books I can dig into. That's a lot of fun. To talking to the kids who've been following it for a long time, um, you know, for, you know, in some cases, you know, not, I mean, I'm not talking to, but, you know, there's a couple of 13-year-olds who you know, I've been reading it since they were seven or so, you know, which is a lot of fun. But there's also kids who've been like, you know, you know, picked them up a couple of years ago and now been faithfully waiting for each one and coming to the end of it. Well, I get to do with them the thing that I did when I was a kid. Like they're properly nerding out. They're properly geeking out and asking like the geeky questions like, you know, does this mean that? Are you going to do this? You know, how does this change this? And, uh, you know, a couple of times there was, you know, kids like, yeah, and you said that Hilo wasn't able to cry. But in book two, he and DJ are pretending to cry when the army shows up. It's like, ah, you noticed that? Like, yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I had to think about that a lot. It's like, I can't believe you noticed that. Like, and I was surprised how many children noticed this. Wow! Uh, it's like, like, wow, like, look at you guys getting all, getting all fanboy, fangirl on me. That's awesome. Um, yeah, call me on my stuff, do that. You know, the, the quick answer is like, he, he's faking it. He's not actually crying. He, he's doing something that looks like he's got tears. So there, um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, it's been terrific. I mean, it's, you know, um, everybody should have my problems uh you know the book is sold very very well the series is doing very very well um you know and uh and most importantly kids really like it you know i i, I rarely have have a problem with uh well there's not a lot of pushback i'm not getting a lot of criticism <laughs> it's, and I, I guess maybe after 12 years of writing superhero comics when it's pretty much all criticism mm-hmm. you know it's just, <laughs> it's all like you know and uh you know, I was there the the early, early days of uh, of, of, uh, of the internet uh, and uh, message boards, and uh, before we were calling them haters. You know, I was dealing with that. Um, so it is a real pleasure to be writing books for young people who dig your stuff because it's a
0: whole different avenue. Absolutely. So. I don't know if you have a lot more time, but I had a few questions. I Every time I have you on, I'd like to probe a little bit into your comic book writing career. If you have a few sure. minutes to do that. Absolutely. Let's do it but before I actually have a question about something you wrote, um, I'm just curious about, so last, I guess it was last month. Time seems to have no meaning now that, uh, coronavirus has taken over. But, um, recently Dan DiDio was obviously kind of moved out of DC and obviously you had a long standing relationship with, with Dan and I was liked his, his kind of role. And I was just curious, um, what, if you had some good Dan DiDio stories to tell.
1: Oh man. Um, I, I could I could devote it, um, an entire podcast to it. Um, uh, Dan and I, Dan and I, oh yeah, Dan and our old friends. Um, Dan, um, I, when did he come to DC? I'm guessing early 2000s. Um, just when I started at uh, writing Green Lantern, and Dan had actually signed um, before. The, I mean, he signed Jeff Johns and I to exclusive. Of contracts with DC, and that's kind of where it began—the exclusive contract war between DC Comics and Marvel. Like Dan was the first one to do it. It was a new idea—the idea of asking writers to only write for, you know, basically, you know, one of the big two. They, they, you know, and if you were doing indie stuff, they were okay with that. But um, so Dan and I had a very, very long and ridiculous relationship uh, in a good way. Like Dan would often. Um, come to me with insane ideas and also equally terrific is that he'd let me do my insane ideas um, I mean to talk about like I mean as far as crazy stuff um, you know it's like hey I want to do another crisis it's like okay great let's do it what are we gonna do it's like and this is this is early days like there had not been a crisis since the one when I was a kid and I mean I do mean a kid you know I think it was 19. Seventy nine or eighty, when DC did their first DC Crisis, Crisis on Infinite Earths, so this was a big deal. Um, I will say, and God, I talked about this two years ago or a year ago, and people got so pissed. But I'm gonna tell it again. Um, Dan and I were at the premiere of Shazam. That's right. I happened to be in LA. (laughs) Pam and I happened to be in LA over the summer, and uh, the uh, they invited us to come to the premiere because I was. It's actually one of the few writers that actually wrote captain marvel shazam um so i ran in so dan and i got to hang out a little bit and we were taking a couple, of, a couple of pictures and laughing our asses off and our wives took pictures and we actually were joking about um in one of the pictures that dan and i tried to kill off nightwing now mind you this was well over 10 years ago and this was we were doing crisis and uh the folks who were planning crisis were me and dan didio uh Jeff Johns and Greg Rucka, we were the guys who were mapping it all out, and we wanted a major character to die, just like Flash and Supergirl had died in the original Crisis. It's got to be someone who counted. And Dan and I were, were, were zeroing in on Dick Grayson, and we were zeroing in on Dick Grayson because like it's like man, we've got a bunch of Robins, all right. <laughs> we've got you know we got Tim Drake. You know, and we can always make more. It's like it's, it's fine. Like he's been around long enough, and like this would be t- like. And and you know, Jeff and Jeff and Greg were a little bit in the camp. Like it feels like it's too much. It's like no, that's why we should do it. It's terrible. It's gonna be so sad. It's gonna be so sad, and it's like, like it's it's perfectly awful. It's like it's gonna tear everyone's heart. Out. It's like we kept saying, like it's tearing our hearts out just talking about it. <laughs> it's like we can barely stand it. It's why we should do it. Uh, and we were so gung ho about it when it finally came down. Paul Levitt just said, "It's too much. We just can't." It's like, oh, come on. It's like, no, no, we just can't. Like, okay, okay, okay. You know, when we'd come down off of it, we we'd agreed like. Yeah, it would have been too much. It would have been too much. But we just shared that sort of feeling of like, no. Sometimes you gotta just jump off the cliff. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta serve the story. And even though it seems like, oh God, it's so, it's so emotionally heart wrenching. Like that's why you gotta do it. And as the fan, you gotta let go of it. And you gotta embrace it as a storyteller. Dan and I always shared that. we were always willing to jump off the cliff. And and oh man, I mean, he got. He got beat up for so much stuff over his entire tenure and he got none of the credit for all the crazy things they did that people loved. Every time anything amazing happened, they would credit everybody who worked on the book and not even realize like, yeah, you know, that was Dan's idea for like the start. You know, He brought everyone together, put this writer and this artist on this title with this book, with these characters, and that was his idea and then set them off to, 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 to go do it. Um, and I got a bunch of stuff. Dumb stuff too, amazing stuff too. Just, but he, uh, you know, he changed DC Comics. He did. He changed comics in general, um, and uh, and we always we always had a great time. That's. I mean, I think I don't think people know that that like it's work, and it's it's always kind of ridiculous. But you know, you are doing fan fiction. You know that's that that is what superhero comics are. Every single time. I mean, no matter what you're doing, you are just you get to make up the stories of the characters you love, you know, and uh, and that's a blast. And Dan is someone who allowed me to do that for years, so I was very very grateful. And and sorry to see him go. It's um, I feel very very comfortable saying it's a huge mistake, <laughs> and, uh, and I I I, I uh, also am very very eager to see where Dan's going to wind up next. For sure. And I will be the first one online there to to buy or contribute. <laughs> you know, count me in.
0: As a as a fan, as a, I guess a layperson, I always felt that uh, his I guess his tenure on DC was typified by. Uh, not, uh, not being afraid to take big swings. Um, you know, and sometimes they worked it really well. And as you said, they worked, you know, really worked, worked really well and readers really liked it. And sometimes they didn't, but, uh, it felt like there was a fearlessness there to try things. And if something wasn't working, get rid of it, try something different. And I think you need that in an industry that could be complacent and it's good to have someone who's kind of, uh, not, you know, not afraid to take risks.
1: Yeah, no. Sometimes you got to crash into the wall. You got to. I mean, I mean, especially with superhero comics, especially with superhero comics. They've been around for, you know, Batman's been around for eighty years. That's eighty <laughs> years. No one else does that. There's no other. There's no other medium that does this. You know, nothing. TV, motion pictures, books. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it that week in and week out for eighty years. This character has been written about, and that you still get, you know, you know. Actual human beings who complain when they change stuff. Oh, you've ruined it. It's different. Now it means all the comics I grew up reading no longer count. It's like the comics you read, were that was 30 years ago. you got to understand, things have to change a little bit. Batman is still going to be about 29 to 31 years old, never grow old, never die, never kill anybody. It's like he changes so little. There are going to be things that have to change. Otherwise, you just can't tell any stories. That's just the way it works. That's how comics work. Um, And Dan was someone who always understood that That there's going to be changes And you just have to take the hit You just have to understand that To tell these stories and to make them count To make them interesting You're just going to have to do different stuff
0: now we may have talked about this in the past, and so I've, forgive me if we've, if we've kind of gone over this ground before. But um, when you brought back, actually brought back this time, Jason Todd, obviously it was kind of building off the, the tease that was in Hush. But you guys actually made it happen. I mean, that was a big apple cart to kind of tip over too, because that was you know one of those big deaths in DC, which you know was still lasting at the time. Was it, you know what was the internal kind of thought process on can we do this? Is this is this going to be you know big, or was Dan like let's do it?
1: Um, it went like this. It's one of my favorite Dan stories, but it just happens to be because it's all about me. Um, uh, Dan uh, uh, Dan, and Bob Shrek uh, had me come on board and I did – uh was it four issues six issues. I can't remember my first my first at-bat with Batman, which was As the Crow Flies. I think that was um, four. Yeah, I think it was four. and. Um, I introduced this little idea that you know that Jason Todd might be back, but it could all be wished away because it was, um, you know, so so Jason Todd as Hush makes an appearance in there, um, but it all might have been just wished away because uh, he's fighting Scarecrow and maybe it was all hallucination nation we don't know, and um, but I had this big idea that I really wanted to actually bring him back, like for reals, um, and. Uh, so I was literally having, you know, when I, I, I was I had just finished the last script uh, of As Growth Flies, and Dan wanted me to stay on board for, for like you know for a longer run for like a year or two, uh, and we're having we're actually having breakfast at the San Diego Comic Con, and uh, one of the one of the uh, subjects of this breakfast is going to be we're talking about my Batman runs. said, so what do you want to do? I said, well okay, I want to bring Jason Todd back for real. It's like, okay. Is it, are you into that? I guess, yeah. Like, what do you have in mind? It's, and with that was like, I'll do this, but what are you going to (laughs) do?
0: Um,
1: so I basically told him like, it's like, okay, I see this whole thing as an opera. I see it as like, you know, like it's just like it's it's like it's a hundred miles of broken road for Batman. It doesn't it doesn't take away anything from the loss of 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 Jason Todd because he comes back and he's a villain. Like Dan's gone, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, but the whole thing culminates. Spoilers, if you have not read Under the Red Hood or seen the movie Under the Red Hood that uh the animated movie that I I wrote. Because I'm gonna tell the ending right now. <laughs> if you haven't read or watched it, stop listening right now. Um So it ends with Jason Todd uh, capturing Joker and presenting him to to Batman and basically with the challenge that you know you know and that, that that well well actually what Batman puts it to him is that Jason I'm sorry I didn't save you from him and Jason explains that this it was not about the fact that you let me die it was the fact that after Joker killed me that you let him live how could you do that how could you let him live? And uh, delightfully, when I'm telling this in much longer detail to Dan, he's right on the edge of his seat listening to me. And I said, and then I, and I guess because that's what, he goes, that's gonna be the ending. I go, yeah, that's gonna be the ending. It's like, oh, okay, write that. <laughs> I said, write that. I go, yeah. If that's gonna be the story, I'm fine. Do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're
1: gonna end there. I'm sold. I said, did it, it, you like? He goes, oh, I love that. I thought this whole thing is about like, oh, you let me die. It's like this thousand oh, times better. Oh, this and I said, okay, we're gonna probably we're gonna take a lot of crap for it. It's like, oh, we're gonna take a lot of crap for it, but I don't care. It's like it's gonna end really, really well. See, so that's he said would would be terrific. i would be terrific. And then you know, and and all the way along that, you know, Bob Shrek and actually Bob Shrek who wasn't actually too keen on the idea. Um, as the story rolled out, came around, saw what I was doing, and with every month, Dan and Bob checking in, saying like, this is funnier than I thought it'd be. You know, Black Mask is funny. It's funny. This, this is coming along. <laughs> Um, so, with every bit of crap that we, we ever ate about it, people criticizing, bringing it back, it's just a stunt. Dan and Bob, and Bob Shrek, my editor on this, would say, like, yeah, you'll see. He sticks to landing so well. You're going to see. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's we're, we're, You're going to like it. You're going to like it.
0: Well, obviously, it's a testament to the strength of the idea that the character is still around in that, you know, in it still plays in the DC universe so even you know even though it might have been kind of a uh, a thing that people at first were adverse to at the time and obviously it did stand the test of time it was a great story and the character has persisted
1: I'm very very proud of that i actually people people understood and got the character even more than i possibly imagined they would um, they <laughs> the the the, the old battered son you know well not battered but but sort of you know, tortured offspring, unloved son, emo aspect of him uh, that I, I just touched upon a bit. Like like a lot of a lot of younger readers just just ran with it. They just really just really get it, and uh, that surprised me. That surprised me in a delightful way. Um, and I can't lie, a lot of fan girls. Um, over the course of my tenure, we uh, managed to finally. You know, started embracing the fact that you know that young women and girls read comics more and more, and uh, girls seem to be um, seem to be drawn to Jason Todd as well, which is kind of nice. Which kind was interesting. Um, I was quite proud of that too. I'm happy he's
0: still around. I'm thrilled. <laughs> Way back in the day, if if you had participated in the one nine hundred number, would you have called the kill Jason or called the save him?
1: You know. Here's the funny thing: is that in, in, in an early interview I did when it when the book came out, I lied. I flat out. I mean, I've, I've come I've come clean on it a number of times. I flat out lied because I thought it'd make a really good quote that I that because I was um, I was reading comics when they came out. I was not reading it actively during its run. I ran I ran. I read the first. It was one of the very early trades. They collected it mm. uh, very shortly after the, the the run came out, and it was a big story. And the uh, the trade came out almost the month after the run ended and I read it right away. Um, and But I, I flat out lied when someone said, no, and it's like, no, no, no. It's like, so did you call in and vote? Like, yeah. No, I voted for him to live. I lied. I just lied. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it made for a better I, I I thought it made for a better story. And it did, when people read that. Like, oh, man. He, he's like, he's setting things right as far as he's concerned, man. He like, you never thought Jesus should die. And that's why he's bringing him back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't do that. I did not. Um, no, I probably would have voted for. It. I probably would have voted for him to die um, as, as a kid, just because I don't know. It, it was probably something about the allure of being able to control the story in such a way, you know. And I think that's probably why folks did it. Um, you know, not necessarily because they actually had an opinion on Jason one way or the other, but it was such a drastic thing. Such a dr- such a drastic thing. You know, Robin's going to die. You know, th- it's almost feel like there's no way they're going to do this. And uh, but they did, you know, and it became, it became such remarkable canon. It became such a thing that, you know, I mean, it inspired Frank Miller in in a huge way to, uh, to do Dark Knight Returns. You know, one of the biggest points of it uh, was that, you know, he retired not long after Jason Todd was killed, and, um, you know, that was. both those books came out around the same time. I actually don't know. I, I I'm forgetting now if Frank actually knew that Jason was being killed off in the mainstream books while he was working on Dark Knight. I can't quite remember, or or if it was just like insane serendipity. It might be the latter. Um, it just might be one of those wonderfully fateful things. But it did, you know, it it created you know his death. It created the Dark Knight that we know now. You know, it was really it was still it was still kind of fluffy before before that. So it was a big deal, and I'm the one who screwed it up. So there,
0: boom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I actually just checked uh, the the dating on it. So it looks like Dark Knight Returns did happen first. It happened two years earlier.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's maybe they got the crazy idea. There you go. So so Frank made it happen. There you go. Got the opposite. Um, His work inspired me the idea of actually killing
0: him off. Yeah. Um I'll have I'll just have one last question before we let you go for the evening, but um I'm gonna ask you about a book that I don't think anyone's asked you about in twelve years. Um so I'm just curious uh what was behind the co writing, I believe it was co written, um and what was behind the genesis of DC Universe decisions from two thousand and eight. Oh, the uh the election book. Mm-hmm.
1: You mean that one? Yep. Oh yeah. Okay. I was one dance crazy ideas. I was one dance crazy ideas. Which, uh, yeah, people really didn't like that, did they? They really, really hated that book. Um, I have not read it. I don't know if it holds up. I bet parts of it actually hold up. Um, what year did it come out?
0: I believe it's it two thousand eight. Uh,
1: two thousand eight. Okay. Yeah. So Dan's idea. It was, a, it was a decent idea. It was just hard. It's a hard thing. It was just like you got to try stuff out. We were, on, you know, <laughs> even compared to now, it's nothing. I it was like, you know, um, I was about to say, like, we, it was a very divisive time politically, opposed to now. <laughs> um, so Dan did this idea that, like, about introducing the idea of a political election in the DC, in the DCU, and he was picking. So he tapped me and Bill Willingham, who were. Um, two writers who people uh, our politics were, were out there. Um, Bill was conservative. I actually don't know where Bill sits right now, as far as like what his opinions are on anything right now. But back then he uh, um, he's, he, he was Republican and uh, and, uh, and you know supported Bush and all that jazz. Um, and uh, so he tapped us to do the book, and we plotted it together, and then wrote the issues separately, and also figured out you know, which characters would be like, you know, conservatives and which would be, you know, kind of liberals and, and, uh, and it worked out like this is insane superhero story to go along with it. You know, so Dan had this crazy idea to do it. I said like, that's nuts. Yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) It was one of those like, that's nuts. I'll do it. Um, I, I can't even think of like some of the nutty ideas he might have come to me on and said like, no, I can't do it. I couldn't do countdown because I didn't have time. Um, that was another like gigantic, um, event thing they had but yeah I assume to be read now you probably read it and Decisions probably looks extremely hokey and weird um but I think we landed in a good place the ending was the idea that people are are asking superheroes like who they're voting for basically the liberal or the conservative candidate and uh in the end Superman because everyone's looking at Superman basically said I'm not going to tell you (laughs) it's like you know (laughs) what 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 we do and who we are is too influential. You all need to make these decisions on your own. This is up to you, and uh, I thought that was a nice message, and that was Dan's idea. Hmm. you know I thought there was a really, really nice idea. I still like that the rest of the book I have no idea how it how it played out still,
0: but you know that i that I still like <laughs> uh I, I lied before one last question I promise sure, you bet. Um, just curious in general, I mean, so obviously you've, you had this great tenure of, of writing comics, but then now you're back into doing your own work on Hilo and you're, you're art, doing all the art, doing all the writing. Would you ever bring back Barry Ween?
1: I just maybe, yeah, you know, I really want to, I absolutely, I, I want to, and I've never, like, I've never been closer to doing that because um, it took for, it was a very long time I wasn't writing and drawing anymore. Now I'm writing and drawing a lot. Um, you know, I mean, I, I really do mean this. There was there was a couple of years where, before doing Hilo, it had been like a three year period where I hadn't drawn anything. And part of it is also I realized that how unhappy I was not doing that, and that this is who I am, a cartoonist. Um, but now that my drafting table is literally cleared off, and like you know, I had I had books and crap stacked up on it. That's how much I wasn't drawing on it. Now you know it is utilized every day. I am a cartoonist again. Um, at some point I will I will tap the brakes on Hilo and anything else I'm doing and uh, you know and, and put and put the time in to do you know a bit more Barry Ween. Part of it is also helpful that I'm uh I'm drawing on a computer now, so I'm actually going a lot faster. Hmm. Um, with each book I get a little bit quicker. And um, I know if I, I sit I, I know if I sit down and write the script, a Barry Ween script will fall right out of me. Um, <laughs> although, you know, attitudes have changed a little bit. You know, I, I I do note that, um, you know, Jeremy uh, – girl crazy Jeremy probably won't be quite as girl crazy as he was or in the manner that he did that, you know. Uh, simply said, Barry Ween as a book treating women as objects uh, uh, <laughs> is, is something with that I would have to look at carefully. It's actually not it's, – it's, it's sort of a, a, a not-so-fine line, you know. Uh, Jeremy is kind of a sex crazed little kid. Not so much sex crazed; he wants to have sex, but he he just likes seeing boobs. I think that was like the overriding factor as a character. It's one of his things, and I guess we could still do that. But I think I'll be a little more, a little more self aware, like of how that goes. Nothing's keeping me from doing it. I still like. I would still like the idea of doing a book about a little boy who, has got three hundred IQ and. You know, blows things up and says the F word every third word, you know, cracks me up still.
0: Just a a quick follow up there. When you were in that period where you hadn't kind of, you know, drawn anything for a while, what was that like, that process to kind of get that muscle flowing again or to kind of stretch it out and and actually go back to the table? Because, I mean, that's a long time to not do anything, like not use that particular muscle.
1: It was very, very hard, and it was absolutely as hard as I thought it was going to be. Um, I actually um, – I had to kind of baby step my way in there. I, uh, I got it in my head I wanted to do a graphic novel. Uh, um, so instead of doing a graphic novel, like 20 pages – and then a, a synopsis And uh, I, I did not go out with, with a literary agent I just took it out myself to editors I knew And I got the same reaction from all of them that They kind of just want to see the whole book They kind of just want to see the whole book And then when I start, started toying around the idea Of just doing doing the book I realized that this isn't even the book that I wanted to do And like what do I really want to do It's like I want to do a superhero book for kids That's what I want to do I want to do an action adventure for everybody for me too. I just sit down and, and do the uh, without you know having a publisher, without having a deal in place, without knowing if anything would ever happen with this, I just had to sit down and figure out how to do it again. Um, and not as the last time I had done a full on book had been Pedro and that was you know years early That was into you know, that began in the, you know, the late nineties into the two thousands. That took me two and a half years. So, you know, the first title book It wasn't at first. I just had to find my rhythm of it. How, how I wanted to draw it. What? what how? How? I, how? I possibly write it. How, how do I do this? Do I sit down in longhand in the circle drawing? Do I type it up? Like I do? I write myself my own script? Like I'm giving it off to an artist to uh, do to do a Batman book? How do I do it? So that was it. Was different. Um, and what it came down to is it. It took everything. <laughs> so I write a bunch in longhand, and then I go type it up kind of like it's a script, and uh, then I go start drawing a chunk of it, and then I write some more and type up some more and then write a chunk and then draw a chunk of it and back forth, back forth, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And it takes a long time, but that's my process, and it just, it's just how it works.
0: Excellent. Well, again, Judd, thank you so much for taking so much of your time out today to talk about Hilo, to talk about, again, some of your uh, remembrances of Dane DiDio, Um and uh, we'll definitely try and have you back on the show at some point in the future.
1: Oh, that'd be great, sir. Thank you. It's always, always a pleasure. Um, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the interest. I appreciate the fantastic questions. It's always, it's always a good talk. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you.